excited to uh, introduce to our community an incredible leader in his own right, Mike Jensen. Mike has held leadership positions in companies such as DeWalt, the Coca-Cola company, PepsiCo, GM, and for the last decade, he has held a leadership role with Academy Mortgage, which is where I met him. He served as a member of the board of directors, the chief growth officer, the chief marketing officer, as, as well as the vice president of corporate development. And although we could probably spend an hour talking to Mike about corporate growth, about profitability, about business strategy, uh, today we're going to have a conversation about what he has done to create what, what I believe is a different kind of company, uh, a company that's built on purpose, a company that has built a following and, and a loyalty effect around experiential living. And as we talked, what I realized for the first time was here is a leader that actually developed tactical and strategic ways to really build an experiential life for not just his employees, his 1099 contractors, but also his customers and the families of those employees, contractors and customers. Before we jump in, I, I want you to know that there are a few things that hopefully you take away that you write notes about or take notes on and you think about after this interview. I've never heard it put so well from any CEO or, or leader in a company. Mike said he looked around one day and he realized that people in his organization were doing well, right? They were making money, they were profitable. And he said, you did well, but we want you to do good. And that struck me uh, as such a difference in perspective. And so that began this conversation around perspective. And again, he had a model for perspective. I phrased it as his 3P model. He said, we recognize that if we could change the pace, change the place, that will lead to a change in perspective. And listen as he tactically shares strategies on how to change perspective of our people. Really leadership is all about behavioral change and perspective shifting. And he shares strategically how you can do that within any organization. And then lastly, I'll just share my big takeaway. It was all about giving. As many of you know, we started a, a public charity called Experience Giving, right? We believe that uh, giving is not just a financial thought, but also an activity. And uh, I never heard it put so well Mike said that uh, he believes that there are different kinds of giving. There's transactional giving, which is writing a check, which is easy for most of us to do. But he said then he found that there was transformational giving. And he tied giving to three T's, right? Time, talent, and treasure. And he shared that when you combine those three T's, right? When you take your time and you take your talent and you take your treasure, then that leads to transformational giving. Another mob for us to follow. So with that, uh, I want to introduce you to Mike Jensen. Please listen from beginning to end. We're going to jump right in, actually, because there's just so much good information. We'll forego the, the normal introductions, and uh, we're just going to let Mike run. Thanks for listening. And uh, again, if, at the end of this podcast, if it, if it touched you, if it helped you, if you found value, please share it. Email it to a friend. Give us a review. It's by sharing this mission that, that we will all uh, lead towards more experiential lives. All right. Thanks, guys, for listening. Mike, why don't we just jump right in? In lieu of going through introductions and, and telling people a little bit about you, why don't you just share with us who you are, 
what your perspective is, um, how that's been shaped. What do you do? Gone back to business school, went to PepsiCo, and then in marketing and um, sports entertainment, and then went to Coca-Cola in what's called brand marketing, and was in brand marketing management for a long time. Left that, went into private equity for several years, and popped back out into the corporate world at GMAC. And then after probably three years there, made my way to beneficial finance and was asked to head up marketing and do some different things there. And while I was there, we tried to take a look at what we could do as an organization that would help build and improve upon the lives of our employees rather than just being able to provide a paycheck, which is important. But we said, what else can we do to develop their lives and help them achieve kind of their potential? And one of the things that we did while we were there caught the eye of Adam Kessler, who was the owner and CEO of Academy Mortgage. And Adam said, I'd like to talk to you for a little while about you know, what you were doing there and see if you wouldn't mind helping us. And I said, sure. And he and I connected and we started talking about what he wanted to do with the organization here. And what he wanted to do and, and where my heart was, and I think his heart was aligned. And I said, listen, I'm happy to help. If it's just in a kind of consulting capacity, totally fine. Let me know how I can be of help. And he said, I'd like to leverage our business for a more noble purpose. And that noble purpose is to help our people become their best selves. The business is doing well. It will always probably do well. But can we do good, right? Doing well. And so he and I started talking. So the first journey that we took essentially was taking what we were already doing here, which were incentive trips for our top producers and repositioning them to do good. And the idea being that we would send our top producers to nice places to sit in the sand and put their feet in the water, which is great. Nothing wrong with it. But we said, can we do something better? Can we look to provide them with an experience that will transform their lives? Because we're in the business of transactions, just like you are as, as a real estate agent. And we said, transactions are important, but what can we do to transform people's lives? And we looked at that incentive platform and said, let's take our people and provide an experience that allows them to get off the grid to help a community who doesn't have maybe the resources necessary, but has all of the desire to improve their lives. And where would that be? What would it look like? How could it work? We locked in, in on a small village in Guatemala with the help of some work we had done previously with a, a nonprofit organization down in that area. And this village was in the what's called the Alta Verapaz Mountains in what they call the cloud forest, high above everything else. And the focus was to build a water system and build a school. And that we would take our very top performers. In fact, we stretched our incentive targets even higher. We'd take our very top performers and a family member or a good friend. And we would go into the Alta Verapaz Mountains and spend the week, building a school, building a water system, living in a tent, essentially living off the map. And we did that, and the response from our organization was really strong in two ways. One, 
those who participated in the trip had seen each other in the past as competitors because they were all comparing themselves to each other based on how much production they were doing. Somebody was in Arizona, somebody was in California, somebody was in Maryland. That's all they really knew about each other was a name and a number. They'd see each other on these other trips that we took, but they didn't really mix and mingle. They had to on this trip. They had to sweat next to each other. In some cases, they were a little sick maybe because the food and the diet was different, but they spent time with each other and with each other's family members digging living in a common space in a little camp of tents. It was like a big Boy Scout camp. Working with those that were in the village and getting to know what their life was like by shadowing them, making uh, corn tortillas, grinding corn, harvesting corn. They lived the life of the people in that village. And over the course of the week, our people not only became very aware of how different their lives were, but in some ways, how similar their lives were to these families that they were helping. And it caused a lot of them to pull back and say, we've got a lot. One of the things I really appreciate about you, Mike, is is how you view the word perspective. And and actually, I'd love for our audience to, to hear really what shapes perspective, how to drive behavioral change through perspective, and maybe even tactically how your organization has done that. For us, it was as simple as we wanted to change their pace, their place, and that would change their perspective. That experience, change of pace, change of place, change of perspective, then caught fire. And we decided that we would continue to offer that as a, an experience for our loan officers and then extend it to our employees over time. And we would continued to do that. What happened for the business is that it strengthened our retention amongst employers, excuse me, amongst employees, because if they ever were thinking about maybe going somewhere else because the money was better over here or they thought that there was a different or better opportunity over there, it was interesting how much that experience kept them tethered to us, not only because of the experience itself, but because they experienced it with their family and their families would say, There's no way you're leaving. That was such a great experience. I want to go on another one. I want to go on another one. And what happened was that our folks started to to unite and and they built this kind of connective tissue amongst all themselves so that all of that muscle started to drive the business because of a unity around who we wanted to become and who we were as an organization. From a cultural standpoint, they appreciated the fact that we were investing in them and an experience that would transform them and their perspective along with their family members. So it worked for the business. It worked for the cause, which also we said we wouldn't trade on. We wanted to make sure that the cause was something that had legs and that we believed would have sustainability. And so we committed to that cause for a couple of years until the village said, we're good. We don't need your help anymore. We can do this on our own. And so that kept our people tethered to the cause beyond just that trip as well. They wanted to know what was going on in the lives of those families that they had been with. They wanted to know what was going on in regards to who they were working next to laying block. They wanted to keep in touch with those folks. And so it developed a sense of community, which was extending the experience. So that's where we started. And 
we said, look, we want to continue to develop these types of experiences. How do we do it in a more meaningful way? And how do we help more people, not just our employees, but how do we extend it beyond the boundaries of Guatemala? And so then we started to look at other opportunities. We looked at opportunities in Peru. We did one in Peru, which was incredible. We did it at 11,800 feet. And as we started to do this, the organization started to grow. People started to hear more about who we were as an organization, not what we do. They started to look at us, not necessarily as a mortgage company, but they looked at us as an organization who wanted to nurture and, and develop their people outside of the business. We wanted our people to become leaders in their communities, leaders in their families. We wanted these experiences to enrich their lives so they'd become better people. So we took trips to Peru, we went to Ecuador, we started to get more involved in Ecuador and we've got a village down there that we, I don't wanna say adopted, but we've, we've laid foundation with and we've built a little bit of a village down there to take us each time we come. And then we're also letting that village use those facilities for other people that want to come down there and help them. We spent time uh, in Africa doing the same thing. We spent time in Budapest doing the same thing, a variety of different kinds of projects. We built a huge dam in Peru. We had to get heavy equipment airlifted up there. We helped a disabled adult facility in uh, Budapest in refurbing that facility. And then also it was harvest time. So we harvested corn with all of them. And usually what we'll do in addition to taking our people in is we'll consult and work with those villages to make sure that what we're doing is what they believe needs to be done, not what we believe needs to be done, so that it truly is beneficial. Oftentimes, we'll take a doctor and a dentist down with us as well. And in some cases where the dental is needed, the first trip we went on to Guatemala, I think we pulled 752 because there was just such a need. And it's fun to watch people who have never in their life or never would even imagine themselves pulling teeth within 10 minutes of instruction from the dentist, side by side with the dentist, give somebody a shot and pull their teeth. Those are experiences that happen in these types of trips. Maybe the best experiences that happen are those that happen without being crafted or planned. I'll give you one small example. We had a couple that traveled to our first trip and then came on our second trip. And they, most of the people that participate in these are repeat offenders. They keep coming back because they're like, I want that again. It's great. They were struggling as a husband and wife. And it was obvious, obvious, not to just those who knew them, but obvious to everybody, because when you're in a tent and you're surrounded by 30 or 40 other tents and you get cranky with somebody, you can hear it. And unfortunately they were really struggling. And uh, we were there at a time when a bunch of thunderstorms came through and it was nothing but mud and rain for two days. And we were trying to work, stay in our tent. It was not ideal. But one night we had heard them squabbling and bickering and we could tell it just wasn't a good scene. One night the rain stopped, the clouds parted, it started to get humid. Everybody took their rain flies off the tent. It was quiet. And then all of a sudden you could just hear out of that tent where there had been bickering and fighting, just laughing real soulful laughing and then crying. And nobody dared ask what was going on, but the next morning I asked um, the loan officer, I said, hey, how are you guys doing? He said, really good. I said, good. It felt like things were a little bumpy. What changed? And he said, I don't know how to explain it outside of the fact that this experience 
had us both on edge because we have everything we need and want financially, from a service standpoint, everything instantaneous. So it put some pressure on us and it highlighted, right, perhaps that we don't need each other as much as we should. And so we were relying on each other more here and it was hard, really hard. And we were grumpy. And when the rain stopped and we took that rain fly off and looked up and we saw these stars that we have never seen in our life. He said, we, we just simultaneously broke out laughing and then crying and then had a really good conversation and just told each other, we need to work on our marriage. And he said, you know what? That trip, I think, has saved our marriage. And he told me that two and three years later. And how and why, I have no idea. But for us, in my opinion, that was all worth it. And we get a lot of those kind of stories where people are like, this changed my relationship with my son or my daughter. And that's what those stories, what those uh, trips are about, those experiences are about as well. So we did a bunch of those, right? And then we said, what other kinds of experiences can we build to help our people? And so that led to a variety of other types of experiences that are different from that in terms of execution, but in principle, very similar in terms of nurturing and developing our people and their families and, and helping others in communities of need or just people in need. So anyway, hopefully that gives you an idea of how we got started down that path. That is awesome. One of my big takeaways, and let's just go back to that husband and wife, you change their pace, right? Yeah. You, you put them in a new place and all of a sudden a perspective, right? A wildly deeply held perspective shifted. And I think that's the, that's this almost secret or hidden effect of living experientially. I think I've never really heard it that way. And I love those three P's like pace and, and place and perspective. But the only way we do that is if we focus on changing the experience or living experientially, which your company is mastering, which is pretty awesome. Uh, we're, we're trying. We're, we're hoping it'd be great to get to mastery. So that's a nice compliment. We're, we're trying. And does it have business benefit? It does, but that's not the reason. We're doing it because... We believe a couple of things. One, the best form of philanthropy is employing people and helping them to become their best selves. Because in doing that, there's a trickle-down effect, hopefully, we've seen it, where people then reach out to help others become their best selves. And so it's regenerative, right? So that's number one. Number two, this idea of living in a transactional world, which we all do, right? Everything's instantaneous, it's at our fingertips. Oftentimes is a trade down. And while it provides some initial stimulus, whether it's financial or emotional or whatnot, it doesn't really oftentimes have the power to transform. And we think people are really hungry for meaning in them. And if there's a way that we can assist, we can't necessarily be the ones that create it. They create it by participating. But if we can help them create that meaning, we think that's a valuable role to play as a business as well, and that that's a role we should play. You talk about creating a community within the workplace. How do you do that? How do, how do relationships come into play there? We, we all live in communities, and it's interesting. The neighborhood I live in is a community, but it's not the same community that neighborhood used to be maybe 30 or 40 years ago for a couple of reasons. One, we all work so much more 
than we used to. And so the workplace has become a community. And so if the workplace is really going to be a community, it needs to be a community where you nurture people outside of what they contribute to the workplace. We need to find a way to nurture them, help them grow, help their families grow, find ways in which they can develop that may not directly benefit the business. It needs to be a relationship. And what we have found is that the strongest currency in our economy is relationships. That's what, from a business standpoint, from a personal standpoint, that currency, when you invest in that currency of relationships, that currency does nothing but grow. And then when you run into tough challenges along the way, whether it be in business or whether it be in personal life, that currency holds. It doesn't drain out as quickly as maybe transactional currency does. And so there's just some real benefit to it. And I think people see that. It's a natural law, but sometimes we look past the mark on that, if that makes any sense. You think as you look at the benefit, the business benefit, of the community you've built by making your workplace and and actually outside of the workplace, this community, a human need is community. In fact, that's right. That's the, the for Maslow said that, Hey, this is a basic need and and we can never get to enlightenment or you define it as being their best self until that community is there. This idea that we're spending less times in the physical community around our houses and neighborhoods and, and communities and more time at work, which is, is very true. Over the last 30, 40, 50, 70 years, that has happened. Do you find that's a, it's a by, the byproduct of that is retention of employees and, and your business model is also built on a bit of independent contractors as well. What has retention been like for your organization because of it? Yeah, super perceptive question on your part. Yes, one of the business benefits is retention. If I look at the business benefits of building a culture in a, in a community based on serving, based on providing experiences that are transformational, the business benefits are immediately threefold. One is attraction. It's attractive to people who are hungry for meaning and are void of that in their lives, which is a pretty big population. Unfortunately, we see that. It resonates with them. So from a recruiting standpoint, people look at us and say, you're different, like really different. And that's interesting to us, right? Because you're either the same or different. And if you're the same and you're different in degree, hey, my interest rates are a little up or a little down, there's not enough difference to really attract people, whether it be consumers or employees. So It's an attractor. It's got uh, this kind of magnetic power. That's one. Helpful for us in attracting the right people. Number two, when they're here, they become more engaged in being productive because they feel more committed to the organization because of what the organization provides and gives back. And I'll give you a, a case experience on that. And we can measure that. And greater productivity is something that everybody's looking for because there's yield and there's efficiency. And and then number three is retention. Yes, we have greater retention amongst those that we want to keep. And those that don't match the culture, while they're good people, it's okay. It filters them out more quickly and then we don't have to drag along. So there's a natural selection. And as a result, we do have greater retention as well. So those business benefits from a profitability standpoint are significant, no doubt. It also 
it helps us in attracting the right type of partners from a realtor standpoint, a builder standpoint. I don't want to overuse this term. It's not virtue signaling, but it's helping people understand who we are. And, and if that's attractive to the right partners, it cuts out the friction in how we do business as well. It helps build non-transactional trust and builds more vulnerable trust amongst partners. And that's a quicker path and a more efficient path to getting business done. So there are some real business benefits for sure. Do we do it specifically for that reason? No. Do we know that those business benefits exist? Yes. Do we invest? And does it make it easier to invest in those things because it's reciprocal, it comes back to us? Absolutely. Let me go back to something you said earlier. You did well, now we want you to do good. It's doing well allows you to do good. Do you think one has to come before the other? Can you place the doing good before the doing well? What's your perspective on that as an organization? Yeah, I, I, I don't know if one has to come before the other. In, in an organization, depending on the size of the organization, depending on kind of the heritage of the organization and habits in the organization, one might need to come before the other. For example, if you as an organization started out in sending people with service and, and asking them, hey, look, I want you to work really hard to go spend five nights in the dirt, depending on the culture of that organization to start, it might not work because they're still looking for incentive versus motivation. And so it's somewhat dependent, I think, on the culture of the organization. In individuals, it's dependent on what their intrinsic motivators are. So an example would be, we have folks on the sales side who's motivators are more financial perhaps than anything else and nothing wrong with it but we believe there needs to be a healthy balance of not just financial but serving and doing good in our in some of our ops roles or even in some of our hourly positions there's a desire to certainly financially improve their lives but just observation from my perspective there's been more interest and maybe more understanding of the challenges sometimes those who are in need face. And there's almost more of a desire on their part to participate and do good sometimes because they just may be more sensitive to it because they may be more surrounded by it or more in that environment. I don't know if that's the right way to position it, but there there seems to be a little bit more understanding of those challenges. For example, in the home office, while we have a lot of individuals who aren't able to participate in those trips, or initially weren't, we've changed it. Now we allow employees to participate in the trips, and I'll tell you a little bit more about that. It's not just an incentive trip, it's become more of an employee trip. But initially, the only way you could participate in those trips was if you earned it as a loan officer based on volume goals. We had a lot of people saying, I really want to do that trip. How can I do that? I'm not a loan officer. I can't participate two things that we found that were interesting. As we said to ourselves, yeah, we want this experience to be for everyone. And some of these folks just couldn't do it on their own. How can we structure something where we put in place a grant or a scholarship type program where essentially we cover a good portion of the trip and then others have to match it? The take on it was immediate. 
when we put it out there for our employee base, it didn't matter if they were $15 an hour employees or salaried employees, we had an immediate rush of interest because we were willing to meet them halfway and it wasn't coming out of their pocket only. And so we extended that to a broader pool. And what we've seen is two things. One, that those that maybe economically would be a little more challenged to pay for that, make up the biggest portion of those who want to do it. The other thing that we've seen, which is just as encouraging and I think fantastic, is that a lot of our loan officers who have participated are secretly putting money into that fund and sponsoring those who can't afford it because they want them to have that experience too. And that is the magic of it because what that does is it softens everyone's heart to some degree and it, and it creates a much more endearing sense of community in the business because people hear about it. They don't know who it is all the time, but they know that, you know what, hey, this person ended up going and it would have been a struggle for them. It would have been a lot for them to contribute, but somebody sponsored them. In. Who did it? Well, we're not going to tell you because they don't want to know. So that's happened, which has been great. Out of that, what we've seen is at the home office, department saying, how can we do a better job of serving here in our local community? So one of the things out of several that's happened is we as a company, and this was driven by the employees this time, they said, look, we'd like to adopt what's called the VOA, Volunteers of America Teen Homeless Shelter up in Salt Lake. And we're going to sign up and we're going to provide at least one to maybe three meals a week where the employees are contributing their time they're contributing the food. And as a team, they're going up. And we've got departments who it's just part of their every week and every other week schedule. They go up, they do it. And so they're finding ways to do good. And as individuals, whether their level of well is at this financial level or this financial level or whatever it may be, it's irrelevant. They're doing good. To answer that question, it, it, it's almost case-based. I wish that I had a really clear-cut answer, but what we try to do is sit back and say, you know what, because we've done well, we can do good, but even if we weren't doing well, we're going to continue to do good. And we have done that in a couple of cases where when it's been a difficult financial year, we have not backed off on those types of service expeditions or those service trips when we otherwise could have just cut them out. We said, no, this is who we are, this is what we do. That's interesting. I'm a, I'm a firm believer that money is a satisfier, but mission is a driver. And that may not be the case for every human. And when you build your organization, like you've built it, every human in your organization will fall into that. They may be financially driven, right? Like for instance, your salespeople, you want them economically and financially and, and, and money driven, right? Like that starts to drive. Then you've almost changed who they are by shifting their perspective and, and, and then they become mission-based. Mission begins to drive them because they've done good. Yeah, I think it's, it's a very astute judgment, right? In terms of how that as a intrinsic motivator drives people versus an extrinsic, which is incentive-based, right? We've said these aren't really incentive trips. They started out because that's just how we'd label them and talk to each other about the trip. What they really are is motivators, they're motivational trips. They motivate people to do better in the business so they can participate. Once they participate, it continues to motivate them to be better people. And that's an intrinsic drive as opposed to an extrinsic drive.
it, it, it's interesting as you talk through that. I agree with where you're at in regards to some people are money-driven. Some people are mission-driven. Money's a satisfier. Mission's a driver. I absolutely believe that. We tend to try, even though we haven't codified it this way, we tend to try to look at people when we're looking, particularly on the leadership front, and say, look, there are two balances. We want to, as we look at people, understand what we call EP squared. Their ego and economic drive is one side of the equation. And in the sales world, you want people to have an economic drive. If their ego drive's too high, that's a little challenging too, right? On the opposite side is principles and purpose. We want that score to be pretty high as well. If we get somebody that's really high on the ego and the economic side, but really low on the principles and purpose side, it's not a good fit for us. We would rather have it flipped around the other way. Yeah. What we'd love to have is that they have that economic drive and the principles and purpose drive as well. And it's fairly matched up fairly well. But I think that what we have discovered and found is that when we find people who have principles, when they are purpose-driven, they tend to be the people that are more sustainable for us as an organization. They tend to be the people that are more productive. We don't run into the challenges of turning people in and out of the organization. So we develop greater trust in the organization as a result. And we think it lifts the potential of the organization. It's a hard balance because that's an idyllic world, but we run into challenges all the time. And we sometimes have to check ourselves and say, are we being selfish on this? Are we being ego and economic driven on this? Let's pull back a minute and think about it. And it requires constant self-inventory. And that's a hard thing. You got to try to be honest with yourself. And sometimes we all don't want to be honest with ourselves. I want to dig into one more thing. So you have a background in some of the most recognizable companies and organizations in, in, in the country, dare I say the world, right? DeWalt, Coca-Cola, PepsiCo. And actually all of those companies are known for giving back and philanthropic activity. And I oftentimes believe that giving money is easy for organizations. In my world, the easiest thing for me to do right now is to write a check to give. And there's a place for that and it's necessary and it's needed. Something you said right at the start was that your people got to live the life of the people in that village. You've, you've come from organizations that give millions and billions of dollars away. And now you're at the heart of the organization that has built this mission. In fact, in your mission statement, it's caring about your employees and caring about serving others. And you've actually put them in the environment or experienced giving, not just writing the giving. What's your thought on that? How do you separate those two and how do you value those two types of giving? Yeah. Perceptive again on your part. I, as we talked about earlier, it's transactions versus transformations. And writing a check is a transaction. Largely, while it's representative of the organization, it, it doesn't have the power to transform the givers who are participating in it. It has the power to transform those who are receiving because it's currency that's necessary. And that's a good thing. And I would never discourage that. But in order to really realize the full potential of a transformational economy, we've decided that you have to allow people to not only participate in vicariously that act of giving, right? Or even if you yourself are writing a check, which is good, and that's a good thing. 
But to get the most out of it, you have to be able to give of your time, your talent, and your treasure, all three things. And so if you're in a position or your organization can allow you or can foster and create the opportunity to give of your time, your talent, your treasure, then you maximize the experience. You maximize the transformational opportunity that exists in that, right? Whether it be serving in the middle of Ecuador, building a school there, or whether it be serving the teens that are just 15 minutes down the street that are struggling, you're, you're still giving of your time. Your talent is a little different, and we're trying to figure out how to better do that as well. How do we take our workforce, and in addition to giving their time and of some of their treasure, right, how do we leverage the skill sets, the talents that they have, and make those available to communities in need or people in need? That's a little trickier, but I think once we find the way to better do that, we've done it a little bit here and there, but the way we, we can find an ability to do that so that they're contributing of their strengths, then I think we'll hit a home run on this is the right mix that provides the most amount of meaning to people because those three elements are really what you have to give, really what you have to give others. And so if we can find a way to leverage all three of those, then I think we'll be on a better path as well. It, it's interesting, this last, I'll give you one last example, and maybe this will help illustrate it. So this past year, as you mentioned, the challenges that we've had with COVID and, and as an organization, we were set to take another trip with the organization. We were originally going to Israel and it was going to be an immersive cultural experience. We were gonna participate in the culture so that we could feel what it was like to be those people to some small degree. We were going to serve in that community. As COVID got closer, we knew that we couldn't do it. We tried to reposition. We thought, let's, let's figure out if we can take our folks somewhere else and do that. We tried that started to get worse. We had to reposition again. We said, look, we're, we'll, we'll look to do this in the fall. And then as COVID continued to hang around, we said, we don't think this is going to work. Yeah. We just don't know that we can do it this year. How do we build an experience for our people where we're not all together, but that allows them to contribute their time, talent, and treasure and have an experience of their own with their family. It won't be an immersive experience as a group, but maybe it can be individually. So we decided that we would take a, an amount of money that we would normally contribute to the trip. And instead of just holding it back and saying, we'll do it next year, we gave all of those who qualified that amount and said, we're giving you this amount with these two conditions. One, you have to use it to create an experience that will transform and change, right? The lives of either somebody in need. So it can be a foundation, it can be a school, it can be somebody who's ill, or to change your lives and your family by doing something with your family that you normally wouldn't do. And that can be service-based as well. Or it can be, look, you've got an ill, sister-in-law who doesn't have the financial means and they've had a hard time. As a family, we want you to get together or as a couple or as partners, whatever it may be, and talk about how you'll take this money 
and utilize it to create an experience that changes your life and the lives of others. We want you to send in to us what that's going to be. And based on that, we'll grant you that capital. And then we want to hear the stories. So what's been great is there's some really good stories that are starting to come in, whether it be, hey, look, you know what? We, this, this high school football team in this rural area hasn't had new equipment for literally 15 years. They don't have enough to pay a full-time coach. They don't, yet it's the heart of, of the town. We want to give our 10K to the football team to buy new equipment and to pay some of these coaches who are volunteers. And to, okay, great. Sounds fun. But, you know, that's your choice. How are you going to contribute to making it work versus just stroking the check to? How are you involved? We've had folks talk about, hey, you know what? I talked to two kids from Ghana about 10 years ago. They came out of the slave camps. We want to take them back. They have not seen it. They came over when they were two and four. We want to take them back to where they came from, and we want to serve for a couple of weeks in that community. That's what we're going to do with it. Fantastic. Do that. Share with us that experience and let us share it with the, the rest of the organization. What happens now, and as we gather all of these stories, is that we've got this, this collection of stories that everybody can somehow participate vicariously in. And so the organization in that sense will share in that immersive experience. So it wasn't exactly what we had hoped it could be in the sense that we can all go down and serve together, but we said, let's just find another way to do it. And so for this year, that's what we're going to do. And we hope that it will provide for those that are really serious about trying to extract as much as they can out of it in terms of an experience, that it'll provide that opportunity for them to do it. And we'll start to share those stories with the organization as we hear about them. That is, Mike, that's one of the m most brilliant responses to, to that question around giving, right? Giving of our time. You... There's those four T's, right? Time, talent, treasure winds up being transformational. I think the, the big takeaway for me is that by writing the check, you absolutely can transform someone's life. A human's life, a family's life, a culture begins to transform. You've done that. And actually from afar, you can do that. You can write those checks and have other people help that village in Ecuador or the community in Ghana or Budapest. But the difference when you're doing it and you're experiencing the giving of your time and giving of your talent and giving of your treasure, it's actually transformative for both parties. And I don't know that I've thought about it that way before, but you're at a certain point in time, I think we all wake up and, and say, gosh, it's awesome to transform someone else's life. And, and sometimes we use that as an excuse. We're head down and all we do is focus on work and, and we are transforming employees' lives and people's lives and customers' lives and clients' lives, but we never take a moment and transform our own or our own families by allowing ourselves the time, talent, and treasure. And I believe that if we don't do that, we will wake up one day and still be empty. No matter how much we've transformed other people's lives and perspectives, we didn't dual transform. And, and just so you know, I, and I'll post it in the show notes, I watched a couple of your organization's videos. I watched the one from Peru and, and yeah, the, the community's lives are being changed and transformed even by the relationships that you formed, but so are your people. So are your loan officers and their employees and their, it is a huge takeaway for me, time, talent, treasure, and, and you wind up dual transforming both those that you serve and those that are serving. I think that's brilliant.
that, that's hopefully the magic in it as that comes about. And I appreciate you recognizing that because I think that's what we're hopeful is happening. It doesn't always, but we're trying to find more and more ways to make that happen. And we've said several times, we've had lots of organizations say like, how do you do this? Maybe a secret sauce in regards to who we are. We're not secretive about it. We're happy to help others. Anybody that comes along and says, hey, can you help us figure this out? We say, yeah, sure. Because we believe that in, in kind of an abundance theory as opposed to a scarcity model, right? There's an abundance of opportunity to serve and lift people. And we shouldn't treat that as a scarce resource. And for those who really are committed to doing that, there's no reason not to help them. If there are listeners that have interest or questions, we're absolutely happy to talk and, and help them think through that because we just think that's what, that's the noble purpose of business is to help transform lives. That's the reason it's a vehicle to do. Michael, I'll just wrap up by stating that as I looked and got to know your organization over the last couple of years, the noble purpose, and that's actually even on your mission statement page, that your company believes that you have a noble purpose. You guys are living it out. And as you say, helping others and, and bringing them along with you on that noble purpose, even a, a 45 minute conversation today gave our audience some real models to be able to do that. All we need to do is take a step back and say, gosh, how do I step in and, and change someone's pace and change someone's place to be able to change their perspective? And then once we take that model, layering in that time, talent, treasure, in, into transformation brings us all the way back to what you started with, that you say most businesses are transactional. Most brilliant businesses are transaction-based business, but you said we're going to take a, a mortgage industry, highly transactional, and make our business transformative. You continue to do that, and I think every single one of us can take a step back and say, how do I move from being transactional to transformative in my business for our people, for our customers, and for those that might not be our people and our customers, but we can serve them because they need to. So appreciate your time. Um, where can people find more, find out more about your company as a, as a whole, Mike? Yeah, I think that if they just go to our website, certainly that will give them some perspective. There's opportunity to get a better understanding of our culture there. And this sounds probably not like we're optimizing as well as we should, but talk to our people. Reach out to our people and ask them what it is that they love about the organization, why it's good for them. And, and the evidence should be found in the people. And if it's not, then that's where we're failing. We need to do a better job of helping our people understand that. But I'd say, talk to our people, look for academy or academy loan officers or employees anywhere and talk to them. And hopefully they'll share the same kind of testimony, so to speak, of what we do. So I appreciate it, Chris. This has been a really great discussion. I appreciate you adding texture to the conversation and the richness that you added to this idea is helpful for me as well. And gives me some things to think about improving upon. So I, I really appreciate the conversation. It's been great. My pleasure, Mike. We appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm.